Um, yeah, what, a, what an, a, an extraordinary um, part of the Bible we're going to be reading. This is God's Word. And um, uh, this is going to be fun, isn't it? And um, now, for those of you who are joining us for the first time tonight, welcome. It's great to have you here. Um, we're in the middle of a series in the Bible of the book of Leviticus. This one has got all these strange rules and regulations and things. And um, uh, let me just tell you very quickly, the book of Leviticus is all about living with God. How can sinful people, unholy people, live with a holy God? Uh, in the first seven chapters of the book, um, a couple of weeks ago we saw it requires sacrifices. Okay, You need sacrifices in order to live with God. Um, last week we looked at the next few chapters, chapters 8 to 10, and there we saw you need priests to offer the sacrifices so that people can live with God. And tonight, well, what is this all about? Um, well, you need clean people to bring the sacrifices to the priests in order to live with God. You need clean people in order to bring the sacrifices to the priests in order to live with God. So that's where we're heading tonight. And I'm going to pray because we need God's help as we hear him speak tonight. Let's pray. Uh, for Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you're a God who loves us so much. We thank you that you are a holy God like we have just sung. And we ask tonight that you would help us to understand these strange words, these words that are yours, that are for our good. Uh, help us to understand them and help us to see just how amazing Jesus is as we see him through these words. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I imagine we've all experienced shame at some point in our lives. Whether it's from daggy parents and not being wanting to be seen dead with them. You know, just drop me off around the block and I'll walk the rest of the way, thanks. Uh, maybe it's the shame of being rejected by a group of friends, of being excluded by your people. Because you don't fit into the box that they want you to exist in. Um, maybe it's a bit like Pumbaa. Maybe you feel like Pumbaa, the young warthog from The Lion King. Do you know that it hurt that his friends never stood downwind? And oh, the shame. He was ashamed. Oh, he thought of changing his name. And he got downhearted every time that he... Oh, sorry. Pumbaa felt shame. Um, perhaps you felt shame, um, you know, the shame of disappointing your parents or your teachers. You know those crushing words, I'm really disappointed in you. I remember those words when I got sent to detention at school. I had to sit on the table of shame outside the, um, the, the staff room. Kayla probably knows where those tables are. Yeah, I'm from personal experience, I won't, won't ask. Um, <laughs> But you know, the disapproving look from the teachers as they walk past and see you there. Uh, and you know, you try and look tough, but really you're just trying to be tough not to let tears um, burst out. Uh, because shame crushes you. Have you felt like an outcast uh, or inadequate or worthless, sometimes for reasons that you have absolutely nothing to do with? Like where you grew up. How much money you have, how much money you don't have what you look like or the clothes that you can or can't wear, what you like to do for fun or relax, all things that we might feel shame about. 
Uh, perhaps you feel shame because you're in a minority or because you can't break into a particular group of friends that you're just really desperate to. You just don't fit in. Uh, shame can be weaponized and used as a tool to manipulate and bully. And we all know those horrible terms, body shaming and slut shaming. Shame is a very powerful emotion. It motivates me to work hard at my job so I'm not publicly humiliated. It motivates me to conform to the world around me so that I can be accepted. It's very powerful. What is shame? What is shame? Well, it, it's kind of, um, it's wrapped up with guilt. Um, guilt is, uh, guilt comes from failing a standard. Now, guilt comes from failing a standard. Shame comes from failing that standard before an audience. Shame comes from failing a standard before an audience. It's a sense of failure before the eyes of someone else, whether it's the community, uh, whether it's the eyes of God, or maybe it's even our own eyes that I fail my own standards and I just feel ashamed because of myself. Now, a lot of the time we feel shamed not because of something that we have done, um, though that certainly brings it, but because of what someone has done to us. They have treated me so badly that, that I must be worse than everyone else. But I am a failure, I am unacceptable, I am unlovable. And the thing about shame is that it is really, really sticky. It hangs around and you can't get rid of it. You feel like it's going to be your partner for the rest of the life. It's a stain that feels like it can't be scrubbed or washed away no matter how hard we might try. Have you felt shame? What do you do with it? How do you deal with shame? How do you recover from those horrible feelings of inadequacy and being an outcast? How are you restored from feeling dirty and unworthy? Where will you find belonging and cleansing? Now, in some ways, this is the primary problem that the Bible deals with. Before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. But after the fall, they see their nakedness, they are exposed, and they feel shame. They hide from God. And that's what shame does to us. It makes us feel vulnerable, and so we hide. And what does God do with their shame? What does God do with shame? Well, it's really quite surprising, because throughout the Bible, God has a particular concern for those who carry shame. He does something about it, and this is such good news. Do you know for Adam and Eve what he does? He makes them clothes to wear. And here in Leviticus, God provides a way for people to live with him without shame, a way to clean them, a way to accept them into community with himself and into community with his holy people. And so this is where, within this bizarre and ancient book of the Bible, we see God's grace with clarity. I don't know if you thought that when we were reading those passages, how do I see God's grace here? Well, it is. And, um, and although living with a holy God is dangerous, 
Um, if you're here last week, you might remember we saw two priests kind of get incinerated as they do something wrong um, in the temple, in the, the tabernacle precinct there. Um, the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, is kind of a big sign that says, keep out, you are unfit, you cannot come near God, you cannot come near him or you will die. But God also makes a way for shame-ridden people to live with him. People who have failed God's perfect and holy standards, they can be washed clean and accepted into his community. And so what we see in Leviticus is, is that God's grace stipulates that there are not only sacrifices to atone for sin, and particular sins that people have done, but there are cleansing rituals that atone for things like disease and other things for imperfections, uh, not particular sins, but, but blemishes. And, uh, and so he cleans them from all these things that cause them to be outcasts from their society. Now, I want to show you a diagram. Uh, and so if you want to grab your pen, you can write this, this down. It's a really, really helpful diagram to understand what is going on with all of this holy, clean, and unclean stuff. And... Uh, yeah, we've got some text issues there, but that's all right. I think you know the word. Um, uh, and so as we read through these chapters, uh, you'll see there's a lot of different terms being used, holy, clean, and unclean. And these are different states that people can live in. Holiness is associated with God, and he makes people holy, and the priests are holy, the, the area there is holy. Um, and so holiness is, it talks about God's perfection, uh, his completeness, his separateness, everything about God is holy. But ordinary Israelites, well, they either are clean or unclean. Um, if you're clean, you're able to go into the tabernacle area, you're allowed to live among God's people, you're allowed to go and do sacrifices. But if you're unclean, you've got to live outside the camp. You can't be near clean people, um, you can't touch the holy things or you will die. And so uncleanness, it's really kind of contagious and it's a real mess. Uh, and so there's a verse here I want to show you. Is it the next one? Have we got? No, not yet. Oh, yeah, let me, let me take you through this diagram a bit more. Um, so how do you go from unclean to clean? Well, you go through some cleansing to go from there. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Um, and that's what Leviticus tells us a lot about, how to do that. To go from clean to holy, uh, you are purified or you're sanctified or consecrated. Um, sometimes is the word being used there. And so to move up that way is to be honoured. Now, going back down the other way, to go from holy to clean, you are defiled. You are desecrated. Or going from clean to unclean, uh, one of the words that's used is pollute. And now if you go down there, that is where shame comes from, okay? As you move away from the holiness of God, you bring shame upon yourself. So Leviticus chapter 15, uh, verse 31 tells us this. And this is kind of a really key verse for these chapters and for all of Leviticus. You must keep the Israelites from their uncleanness so that they do not die by defiling my tabernacle that is among them. Well, what makes people unclean? What makes them impure before the holy God who lives among them? What brings shame according to Leviticus? Well, there's four categories in these chapters, chapters 11 to 15, and here are the different categories. Okay, Chapter 11 is all about diet and what you eat. 
Chapter 12 is all about delivery, childbirth. Chapter 13 and 14 is about disease. And chapter 15 is about discharges. Uh, So come and join me, chapter 11. And diet here is broken up into three different categories. Um, Three different animals. Animals of the land, of the sea, and of the air. So chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and he said, Tell the Israelites you can eat all these kinds of land animals. You may eat any animal with divided hooves and that chews the cud. But among the ones that chew the cud or have divided hooves, you are not to eat these. Camels that chew the cud do not have divided hooves. They are unclean for you. And so it goes through the list there. And so God is setting out for them what food is clean, what is unclean. If they eat what is unclean, obviously they become ritually unclean. They need to go outside the camp. They are excluded from community with the people and they can't draw near to God in the tabernacle. So it's really bad. You don't want that. Uh, so chapter 11 lists all of these different animals. And I wonder if you're, you're thinking, why? So we read through there, what is the point? Is how, how are some things clean and unclean. Um, As you can probably imagine, there's been a number of ideas that people have had about this. Um, uh, um, uh, So uh, one of the first ideas, if we go to the next slide there, is about hygiene. Um, So it could, could be to do with hygiene, that these animals carry disease and so you shouldn't eat them because you'll get sick, it's bad for you. Um, This is what Seventh-day Adventists believe um, about what is healthy to eat and what is not healthy to eat. So, you know, pigs and prawns and that kind of thing fit into that category. Um, But it actually doesn't fit for all of the animals that are included there. Uh, It also doesn't account for the New Testament where Jesus says all foods are now clean. So it's not hygiene. What is it next? Is it religious reasons? Okay, they're not to eat the animals that other religions use in their sacrifices to the gods that they worship. Um, that's what some people think, but uh, the bull is commonly sacrificed by the Egyptians and the Canaanites, but here it's okay for them to eat bulls. So it can't be a religious reason. Maybe it's arbitrary because God says so. It's kind of a bit, bit random or you know, God's got his ideas of what it is. Um, it could be that, but it's only an argument in absence of other reasons. Uh, the best rationale I've found is from a theologian called Mary Douglas, and her idea, her idea uh, is, is that to be holy or clean means to be whole, to be normal. And so to be unclean is to be incomplete or not fitting the norms. I'll explain a bit more what, that, what, what she means by that. Uh, but basically, she says holiness is about wholeness about being complete. And so, for example, the priests and the animals that were brought, uh, the animals that were brought in for sacrifice and the priests, they would would offer those sacrifices, they had to be without defect. Uh, As you read through some of the other chapters, clothing had to be pure and not mixed with different fibres. And just like uh, the marriage laws as well, they are not to be mixed with other nations. It's about wholeness. And so what this means for these food laws is that the animal had to be what is normal for that type of animal. 
the way that God made them in the beginning according to their kind. So if they don't conform to the norms of that class to which they belong, they're unclean. And so uh, if you look at the way the different animals in chapter 11 move around, we can see that happening. The fish that are clean are ones that have both fins and scales because that is normal for water creatures. Birds have two wings and two feet. That's what's normal for a bird. If they've got too many legs, um, like flying insects, well, that's not the normal for, for, fly, uh, for, for, birds, uh, for animals of the air, uh, and so they're unclean. Land animals have hooves to run with, but animals that swarm kind of move about randomly and walk differently. And, uh, and also, what is normal for land animals is that they chew the cud. And so they say, if, they, if there's no hooves and no chewing of the cud, then they are unclean. Um, and so that kind of works for all the different animals. What fits for the norm um, is what is clean and what doesn't is unclean. Uh, and so God's holy people are not allowed to eat these animals, they're not allowed to touch them or they will become unclean. Now it's important to see that they haven't sinned in this way, they're just coming into contact with something that defiles them, that is not whole itself. Um, but the good news is that cleansing is always available for people who, who do touch these animals or who do accidentally eat these animals. Um, so the, the chapter goes through it and says, you know, should you become unclean, God can make you clean again. You can wash with water and you'll only be unclean until the evening. So it's a reminder that God can make you whole again and take your shame away. Now, chapter 12, as we, we press on to there, the next thing that makes people unclean is delivery. So after the birth of a baby, it uh, says that a woman remains unclean. Uh, 40 days for a boy, 80 days for a girl. Um, but why would God say this? Why would God say that uh, this kind of this natural thing, this thing that God created um, women to, to do, is something that is unclean? He commands uh, men and women to have babies and to fill the earth with them. Well, again, this comes back to the idea of wholeness. Uh, because if you look at chapter 12 closely, uncleanness doesn't come from having a baby, but from the blood loss that follows. And blood loss is a lack of physical wholeness. Uh, we saw um, over the last couple of weeks that blood symbolises life. And so if someone loses blood, they are, um, it, it is symbolising death. So, uh, but we see here in chapter 12 uh, that though they are unclean, God makes a way to be clean in verses 6 and 7 and to have her shame taken away. In chapters 13 and 14, disease is next up. There's skin diseases. There's um, kind of diseased clothes, diseased houses as mildew and stuff grows um, in them. Uh, here the priest becomes kind of a bit like a health inspector and they come and they make a decision about whether this is um, clean or not depending on what the disease is. Um, and so have a look with me, chapter 13, verse 45. Um, this is what they had to do if they were unclean. Chapter 13, 45. The person who has a case of serious skin disease is to have his clothes torn and his hair hanging loose 
He must cover his mouth. Oh, that's really loud. Um, we know a little bit about covering our mouths, don't we, um, uh, with the coronavirus. Um, must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. He will remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. Now, it's pretty full on, isn't it? Um, uh, infected clothes would have to be burnt. Infected houses would have to be, uh, would rebuild the diseased bit. Or if it's too, um, too much through the whole place, it'd have to be levelled. Um, it's a pretty full on life to live in. Uh, to be unclean was full of shame and humiliation within the community. You didn't want this happening to you. But again, God provides a way to be clean. Whether it's a skin disease at the start of chapter 14 or mould in the house at the end of chapter 15, two birds were taken, one is killed and its blood is sprinkled over the man and the other bird is released into the sky. Uh, which illustrates that the man's uncleanness has been taken away. You know, the blood uh, washes and cleans and his uncleanliness is taken away and he is welcomed back into the community. Now, you might have been super vigilant and tried really, really hard to be hygienic and to avoid catching the disease. Um, you know, people have been doing that for the last year, haven't they? But in chapter 15, there's some stuff that's a bit harder to avoid. And this is all about discharges. So for men, discharges like semen and, and gonorrhea make them unclean. For women, her period makes her unclean. And for both men and women, sex makes you unclean. Now I just wonder if, if you just imagine for a moment um, how much this would affect your daily life. But there was a way to be made clean again through sacrifices and washings. So those four things, diet, delivery, disease, and discharge, they are all ways that the Israelites could become unclean. But God provides a way for them to be clean. You see his grace happening in there. Now, God made these, these strange rules in order to teach the Israelites a very important lesson, that he is holy that he is perfect and complete, and that people are not. And for God to live with people, holy God to live with an unholy people, they need to be clean. They need to be clean so they can be made holy. So this uncleanness, though, um, is contagious. If, some, if someone unclean touched you, kind of like you're it, you're unclean too. If you sat on something that an unclean person sat on, you're unclean. So I wonder if you can imagine the struggle to stay clean in every day of your life. How vigilant you'd need to be. I imagine if you were there, there would have been a huge market for hand sanitizer and for the pill. What a burden of a life to live. Would you just be wanting a better way? It really would suck to live those ways. Imagine one day then, you hear of a bloke walking the streets of Jerusalem who came and declared all food clean. You can eat as much bacon and prawns as you want. 
a bit like rope camps minus the prawns. Imagine you hear this guy who, who was walking through the streets of Jerusalem and he touched unclean people and he healed people with infectious skin diseases. He should have become unclean, shouldn't he? He should have been kicked outside the camp. I want you to come with me to Mark chapter 5 in your Bibles. Mark chapter 5, verse 24. Just imagine this scene. Verse 25. Mark 5, 25. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. Um, is she unclean? Yeah, for 12 years, okay? She's been outcast and ostracized, going around saying, unclean, unclean. What shame she would have felt. She'd endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything that she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. She shouldn't be doing this, should she? She'd be going around unclean, unclean and making sure, like everyone would just part away for her. They don't want to touch her. They don't want to be near her. But you see there what we keep reading. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, yet you say, Who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling knowing what had happened to her, came and fell before him and told him the whole truth. And what did Jesus say to her? Did he say, you silly woman, how dare you? You've made me unclean. He didn't say that, did he? 34, daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Did you notice here that rather than uncleanness being contagious, that Jesus' holiness was contagious? And this completely upends the teaching in Leviticus. Because rather than the unclean person defiling what is holy and being destroyed, what is holy purifies the unclean. It's because the holiness of God in the person of Jesus has come near. And he is making people clean. He has come to cure shame and not just slap a band-aid on it. And isn't that just incredible? And this is why Jesus welcomes those who are full of shame. He touches them, he embraces them, he washes them clean, he loves them. And isn't this just such good news for people like us? A couple of chapters later in Mark 7, um, flip over there with me. Jesus goes on to teach about what really makes people unclean before God. It doesn't come from diet or delivery or disease or discharges, but what comes out of your heart. So in Mark chapter 7, verse 18, Jesus said to them, 
don't you realise that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? So it doesn't matter what you eat. Or it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. And you know, maybe the, the Jews there are thinking, yeah, that, that's right, you know, loss of blood or, or other, um, you know, pussy, oozy sores or things. That's what defiles people. But Jesus says, from within, out of people's hearts, out of their hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts and murders and adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile the person. The real source of uncleanness and shame is what comes from the sin within our hearts. And that is what makes us unacceptable to God. But the pattern that we've seen by God's grace and kindness is that he makes a way for us to be forgiven of our sin and to be made clean. To be made holy like him. And this happens as Jesus, the Holy One of Israel, went to a Roman cross. And all the shame that being hung on a Roman cross brought. As he dies as our substitute, bearing our sin and our shame, he performs the ultimate act of cleansing. He, he cures our shame. Now, Jesus speaks over you, hakuna matata, because it means no worries for the rest of your days, because he has taken your shame, he's taken your uncleanness, and he has replaced it with honour and value and worth and glory. And in doing so, he declares that the old way of sacrifices and priests and washings in the Old Testament are done away with. No more diet laws, because they've reached their use by date. No more rashes, no more blood loss or mould can separate us from God. It's because all of those laws were ultimately all about Jesus. To teach us about him who would come and forgive us and to wash us clean. All those laws were God's temporary messages of grace. They were a band-aid fix pointing towards the cure until the time that this cure appeared in the flesh and dealt with sin and shame once for all. I wonder if you know the name that Jesus gives to all those ridden with guilt and shame as they come to him in faith. What is the name that Jesus... I could just see a mouse running across there. Don't, sorry to freak you out. That would make you unclean over there. But... <laughs> Don't worry, Jesus has come. But the question, the name that Jesus gives people who come to him for forgiveness, well, he calls them saints. Saints means holy ones. Isn't that wonderful? Come to Jesus and he calls you holy. His holiness flows to us and makes us holy through his gift of the Holy Spirit. And though we still live in a world in which we still suffer and experience shame, we are still saints. We are still united to Jesus 
and kept in his holiness. We're kept in his presence from today and for all eternity because of his atoning work on the cross. The suffering that we experience in this world is only temporary. Our shame does not define us because Jesus does. He welcomes us. He embraces us. He accepts us. He says, come to me. And so the Christian community should be one in in which the, the church should be a place which reflects this. Uh, We should be a sanctuary for those who are ridden with shame, who are rejected by our society because they don't measure up, because Jesus embraces us. Our message that we should be be saying and the way that we act, uh, the things that we say, is is Jesus' message to a shame-ridden and hopeless world, which is, draw near, I will forgive your sin and I will make you clean. Jesus says, welcome. Come and join the family. I am your people. We are your people who have been washed clean in the blood of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful news? Well, friends, we're going to have question time in in just a moment. I'm going to give you some time just to gather your thoughts and some questions that you'd like to ask me um, on your outline. uh, On the front page is the communication card. If you'd like to let us know that you're here tonight, um, uh, if you've got any prayer points or things you'd like to let us know, um, please follow that QR code um, and uh, you can fill your details in there. After you've done that, there is a spot where you're able to, to give financially to the work of Christian Fellowship on campus too, if that's something you would like to do. Um, but I wonder if you have some questions that you might like to ask. sinners um, before we come and put our trust in Jesus. So in, uh, in Romans 8, um, Romans 5, uh, 
5 verse 8. Romans 5 8 says, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the category now is either a sinner or a saint. Um, people who have not come to Jesus and had their sins forgiven are in the sinner category. And if you have, you are a saint. But in the Old Testament, it was unclean. Yeah. Unclean. yeah. So, so the unclean were, were, were sinners. Still. Yeah. Is Karis? still feel shame and I think this is this is the the stickiness of shame it just hangs around and it's really really stubborn and um, and it's true uh, we might sometimes feel shame even though before Jesus we have none uh, and so with Jesus as we come to him if we confess our sin to him he forgives us and we're still we're still holy we're still saints because of what he has done in the cross um, but sometimes it takes a while for that shame to go because we're like, I can't believe I did that. Or I just have this, this dreadful feeling. And that's where we just need to keep looking back to the cross of Jesus. Because it's there we see not only has he paid for my sin and he's washed me clean and, um, and made me holy, but there I see how much he accepts me. And even if the rest of the world rejects you, that truth still remains. And so we need to constantly keep telling ourselves the gospel when we feel that persistent shame that Jesus doesn't see it that way. And, uh, yeah. And so I, 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 think, um, I think it's just part of what it's like to be living in this world still. And, uh, and so I think as we look to the cross of Jesus, that will hopefully keep reminding us that his opinion of me is what really matters. Not my opinion of myself, not the opinion of people in the world around me. And we know that he loves us. So much so that he gave up his life. Yes. Yeah, I had a same Thank question you. all the time, mm -hmm. as she asked. Um, but I um, believe the Holy Spirit is living, so the Holy Spirit really is guiding us. So not falling to the same sin. Mm -hmm. So I think um, yeah, living with the kind of fight the Holy Spirit can make us clean and mm -hmm. not to go um, into that problem. I mm -hmm. had a question about yeah. that, but the Holy Spirit is living, so he's mm -hmm. guiding us, we must trust him. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yep. So um, the Holy Spirit, he is a person and he lives in God's people. And uh, in the words of, um, of Paul in, uh, in Titus, um, he says, The grace of God has appeared, that is Jesus, um, with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness 
and worldly lusts, you know, all these things that bring us shame, uh, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a special people eager to do his works. And so, yeah, through, the, through Jesus and, uh, and through his spirit, um, he teaches us to reject the things that make us unclean, uh, to reject sin, and works in us to, to redeem us and to cleanse us. And uh, what a wonderful, um, how great is God's grace that he is with us, helping us do that. Thank you. Friends, any more questions at all? This is great. All right, well, um, I'm going to pray now, and uh, as I pray, our musicians will, will come up and we will sing uh, a final song together. Uh, but please do uh, bow your head with me and let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that Jesus' blood washes us clean from all of our shame. He takes away our guilt. Thank you that as we gaze upon the cross, we see your loving embrace for us. We see your acceptance and your welcome into your presence for all eternity. Father, help us to listen to your voice. Help us through the power of your spirit. Give us clean hearts to help us to be holy as you are holy. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.